Welcome to Real Estate Real World, where we talk to the movers, shakers, and leaders that are getting it done right now in the real estate industry and beyond. Your host is Marguerite Crispillo, and she started this podcast simply to talk to cool people about what's really happening in this crazy roller coaster ride of real estate. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and stay up to date on the newest stuff by adding yourself to the list at www.realestaterealworld.com. Now your host, Marguerite Crispillo. Hello, everybody. It's Marguerite Crispillo, and welcome to another fabulous edition of Real Estate Real World, where we get to talk to all of the amazing people out there in the real estate space. And today is one that is without exception, somebody pretty amazing and powerful. Today we have a very special guest. Glenn Sanford is on our show today, and he is the founder and CEO of EXP World Holdings and EXP Realty. And a quick disclaimer, I do work for EXP Realty. I just joined the company a couple months ago. So it's a pretty awesome company, but of course I'm a little bit biased. I think it's pretty amazing. So today we have Glenn Sanford. He is the founder of EXP Realty and CEO of EXP World Holdings, Inc. After being involved with a number of Internet startups in the 1990s and early 2000s, including a stint at AOL, Glenn started a highly successful real estate career in 2002. In 2006, his fourth full year in the business, Glenn and his team closed over $60 million in real estate almost entirely from online lead generation, and it was ranked as one of the top 50 teams nationally with Keller Williams. After the downturn in 2008, he and his team developed the first cloud-based brokerage model that uses a 3D avatar, which is very cool, I might add, based online office to collaborate and communicate while abandoning the physical bricks-and-mortar infrastructure normally associated with real estate brokerages. In the last six and a half years since launching with 25 agents, EXP Realty has grown to over, well, it says 2,100 here, but I know that it's pushing 2,500, I think, right now, in 42 states and Alberta, Canada, and over 120 different MLS markets. EXP Realty refers to itself as agent-owned, and the company recently became a public company distributing equity to its productive agent owners. EXP Realty also provides an ESOP-style stock ownership program for its agents and brokers, as well as a revenue-sharing program all designed to enhance the agent-centric business model, as well as increasing agent attraction and retention. That was a mouthful. There you go. How are you, Glenn? Good, good, good. I, I noticed a couple places where I need to edit my LinkedIn profile, so uh, <laughs> good, good, good to listen to it. It is, and, you know, I do have to say it's pretty exciting. Um, I've been in real estate 23 years and been an independent broker for much of that and part of a franchise for about five years. And a couple years ago, my husband and I backed out of the franchise to really just kind of simplify our lives a little bit. And because mainly financially, we had a bricks-and-mortar franchise. We had 120 agents, two offices, 8,000 square feet, copiers, printers, insurance, employees, and on and on and on and on, and it just became too much. And so we backed out of that and went back to being independent, and then about three months ago, I was exposed to EXP, and all I can say is, wow, what you've created is is wow. Well, well, well thanks. It's, uh, well, in 2009, and you'll hear me talk about this from time to time, 
on the cloud campus that I'm, I'm coaching or training. Um, but I, I use this uh, this term business constraints as being one of the most powerful assets that we can have when we start to build out our businesses. And uh, in 2009, as you probably uh, experienced uh, after 2008, it was not a pretty time to have bricks and mortar. Um, and uh, it wasn't, you know, bricks and mortar was we considered it to be sort of a necessary evil and, and when we started our first brokerage in 2007, 2008, 2009. We didn't have a lot of it. Uh, it wasn't like we were, uh, were heavy on it, but, uh, but we did get, you know, three offices up and running. And um, the, the challenge is, is there's, a, there's a lot of upkeep just to having a physical office. Even, you know, exactly. even if it is somewhat effective, um, you know, you've got, you got to clean it. You've got the, guy, the person coming and fix the copiers. You've got, it, there's, there's, there's uh, maintenance. There's there's all the utilities. There's there's just there's just a bunch of stuff that is, exactly. is sort of over, overhead more than just the, the the price of the bricks and mortar. Exactly. I mean, like little things you don't think of. You know, light bulbs and you know, and people leaving their you know lights on and little like those portable heaters and I mean it's insane. It's insane. I mean. Uh, the amount of costs and the expenses are insane. I know all too well. Right, and and then the uh, so so in 2009, um, you know, we the business constraint uh, was financially motivated initially, uh, but uh, the business constraint: how do we build a real estate brokerage that's attractive without having bricks and mortar? And uh, I. I consider those to be some of the most powerful questions you can sort of ask yourself as a real estate agent or a real estate brokerage or a broker is, is ask, to, ask yourself how to solve a problem that nobody's ever solved before but that it, it, to some extent is almost counterintuitive uh, to what is, is the status quo. And, uh, and there's always a way to do, do those unique things. And, and we just went and spent probably six months just iterating around the idea of what would be all the elements necessary to to do something that didn't that, that didn't require bricks and mortar because at the time in 2009 my perception was that the housing market was going to suck for actually longer than it did um, and if it wasn't for the Fed sort of bailing our our, our tail tail ends out uh, you know it would have been uh, it, it would have been brutal for 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 a lot more time but. You know, because we built a model that was uh, sustainable and, uh, um, and and could run in that really slow market, um, as things started to improve, it's obviously it's been it's been a it's been a rocket ride this last uh, couple of years, especially. You know, that's such a powerful question to just sit down and say, how do you create something that hasn't been done before? And you know, my favorite word ever is everything is figure outable. Like you get enough great minds in a small space and put them together and they'll figure it out. Like it's amazing what people can come up with when you think it's not possible. Right. I went to a personal development course a few years ago and it was sort of really one of those eye-opening kind of things. But they had put two sets of chairs on both sides of the room and they said, okay, everybody cross the room between these two sets of chairs differently than the next person. And and uh, then the question was, is how many different ways are there to cross the room? Well, literally, there's an infinite number of ways to cross the room, and which when you start to think about the power of infinity, that means that, there, that no matter what challenge that you're, you're up against in your business or whatever, 
there's not just one solution to it. There is an actual, there is actually an infinite number of solutions. And if you start to look at what in, in, infinite means, it means that there are so many solutions that are highly effective. The, the fact is, is that there, you, you, you can't you can't even figure them all out. There's there's that many solutions to solve your problems, and and we get so fixated on the problem being so big that it's not solvable. It turns out that everything is super solvable if we just open our mind to sort of. Uh, thinking about things differently. And so I'm curious when you're sitting there trying to come up with this model, what kind of objections really came up? Because, I mean, I know what I've heard a little bit, you know, just in my short time, some of the objections, and each one of them is so overcomeable. Is that really, is that a word, overcomeable? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you you know. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, the, so, you know, there's certainly a bunch of objections out there, and I think uh, I'd been in sales and marketing and, and and building sort of different businesses and things prior to to that. And when I got in the real estate business myself, I was 100% buyer focused. Every every lead that we generated was buyer oriented, and, and as we matured, there were, we we would pick up a few listings here and there, but. But it was definitely not our focus, and and uh, and yet every single coach around the country said, if you don't list, you won't last. And that was like the, and 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 I'm and and my business was just taking off because I was, I was focused on a on a market that nobody coached buyer. We'll call it sort of buyer brokerage, but internet, you know, lead gen, work with buyers, and and that be the the entire focus of the business, and uh, and. And um, over time, I would, uh, we would, we would, uh, we actually started Buyer Tours Realty prior to EXP, and then I'd have agents go, well, it's too buyer centric, so I won't join you. And then we, we'd, uh, then we changed to eventually changed to EXP Realty, and then then they made some other excuse, and then they made some other excuse, and then they made some other excuse. And most of them are just, you know, if the timing is right, people will join you because they they see the vision, and if the timing is yeah. not right. They're, they're going to give you excuses uh, and, and, and tell you why it's not going to work. It, it's more, I think, to some extent, for them to justify their own position for not making the move rather than it actually being a real uh, objection. It's, uh, uh, you know, so I think a lot of times people need to tell you why things won't work, and, and not because it doesn't work, because it, it clearly does work, but it's more to, um, to validate for themselves uh, their their mental position and uh, and and uh, and try to create this sort of illusion uh, that what we're we're doing or what we've been we're trying to do doesn't work. There's again going back to sort of the infinite way to solve challenges. Um, the, the the reality is you just have to you have to own one particular uh, set of uh, of of uh, assumptions and 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 business rules and and then just be passionate about it and uh, and and. That you, you just, that's that's in my opinion is really the secret, and and just stay focused on what you've chosen to do, and people will eventually get it. You'll get better at it. And people will start to follow, and and uh, so the objections start to sort of fall away. I, I think probably the biggest one was was probably the, the I need an office to go to, and uh, yeah, uh, and, and so that's if, if there's one one objection that. Still comes up a little bit, but certainly not to the extent it did in the beginning. Was I need an office to go to, and uh, and, and we've helped agents sort of overcome that by thinking about all the places that you can work that isn't your physical office. 
And in fact, if you actually examine an agent throughout their business day, even if they work at a a more traditional brokerage, the likelihood of them actually going to an office is actually pretty slim. I know personally how accurate that is. I mean, like I said, when we had 120-some-odd agents, we would have a team meeting, and we'd get, you know, 10 to 15 to show up, right? And then of those, you know, and that was unless we provided, you know, mimosas and food, then we would get a few more people. But most agents don't go in the office. And for me, kind of getting over that little bit of going into an office and checking out the cloud was pretty powerful. And what's funny is when I first checked out the cloud, I was a little confused, and my teenager was standing there. He goes, oh, Mom, it's just like Minecraft. Here, go here. Use this. He's like moving me around. You know, so I think there's a little bit, too, of a generational um, adjustment. Would you agree? Well, it, it, it certainly uh, it, it certainly can be. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 50, so, uh, you know, I'm actually, uh, you know, um, in, in theory, I, I shouldn't even use the virtual world because it sort of uh, came sort of after – after, uh, generally speaking, my my group sort of kind of passed that uh, the technology stuff up. But fortunately, when I was uh, 12 years old, uh, my dad actually got me an Apple II computer back in 1977, uh, 78. So, wow. so that was, uh, so that was uh, and, and I was I was hooked on on, on technology, and and so I've been uh, really kind of I, I took a little hiatus in the uh, in in my early 20s. To focus on uh, sales and marketing, um, but uh, for me it was uh, the combination of using technology to to improve what was called the the sales funnel, and uh, yeah. so it was took took me it took me a while to, to to figure that out. But probably in the well in the early 90s, um, I'd been a stockbroker, I'd done the traditional smile and dial stuff, and uh, uh, and and I was making 100 phone calls a day, trying to find, you know, uh, people who were interested in opening accounts. And if I was lucky, I'd open two accounts a day. And uh, and I, that was a that was a grind. And uh, I, I burnt out on that. But I was really interested in investments, so I continued to just uh, do some light investing with the small amount of money that I had. Um, spent a lot of time in the library while I was going back to, to school. And I uh, started to post those, uh, my stock picks up to uh, America Online and Prodigy and and uh, pretty soon, I had uh, an, a whole bunch of people that were really interested in my stock picks, and, uh, wow. and, and so and, and that's the time when America Online actually tapped me on the shoulder and asked if I'd come and run their financial bulletin boards and and uh, their their Sunday night investment chats and some other things. So so I was uh, doing some work for for AOL on, on that front, and uh, um, and people asked me how come I knew so much about stocks at the time. I was only I was still in my uh, I think uh, late twenties at the time, and uh, I said, "Well, I used to be a stockbroker." And they said, "Well, if you ever become a stockbroker again, let us know. We'd love to open accounts with you." And so I went and got my license again. I, I had it when I was twenty-one, but I got got my license again. And literally, people were calling me from all over the country, uh, wanting to open accounts and 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 be a client of mine. And that's that was when I really kind of learned this, the, you know, the power of uh, of uh, of what I could use the you know technology for from a lead generation perspective, um, and, and how to create a voice and, and and how to build an audience and how to aggregate eyeballs and these are all the terms that we were talking about the few of us back there in the, uh, the early 90s 
Um, and, uh, and and that's just sort of sort of leapfrogged forward and and uh, continued to look at online services. Built an online service in, called uh, Interactive Cafe um, in Western Canada um, uh, in the uh, mid '90s, and uh, uh, played with the avatar type stuff from time to time, just because I, that sort of fit into that uh, network effect and. Uh, uh, and then it was really in you know 2009 when uh, somebody asked me what the real estate office of the future would look like. In, in um, then I described sort of the avatar-based real estate brokerage, and uh, for me that was the light bulb that went off. It's like if I'm thinking about it now, and I think that's going to be the future, why the heck wouldn't wouldn't I build that into what we're we're trying to put together? And and that was uh, that was really the the jumping off point. And we took the entire tech team, uh, Kirk and Gabe and Eddie, who are still with us, um, and, and said, uh, guys, take your computers home. You're not coming back to the office. And, uh, and all of a sudden, their productivity went up. Um, we were able to work together wherever I was in the country. Uh, we moved, uh, moved all of our agents and brokers over in early October. On the day we, turned, we went from Buyer Tours Realty to EXP Realty, we only had – you know, a handful of us. There was only about 20 of us at that point because um, of the downturn, you know, the, and the attrition that came out of that. But uh, um, the day we started EXP was the day we gave everybody logins as avatars. Wow. And you know that the avatar thing, like I said, it still amazes me. So I, I've got a few years on you. I'm 53, but it and I've been. I remember getting on AOL back in like it was. I think it was around 1990 or 91. You know, the dial-up and, it, you know, taking all those, you know, noises to, <laughs> to log You've got mail. Exactly. I remember that so vividly. And then this morning I happened to pop into the leadership meeting and there's 200-some-odd people in the cloud all from that are people from all over the country, you know, literally people all over the country and all these little avatars walking around. And I just think it's... I'm amazed every day at how far technology is going. Like just in our lifetime, what we've seen is I just can't even imagine what it's going to be 10 years from now. What do you think is the future really of EXP and real estate? What are you looking towards? Well, so there's a, a, a number of things that I sort of I, I have as assumptions in, in sort of real estate in general. And uh, one of them is that, Real estate will always be local. It'll always, it'll, and it will always require. And, and when I say always, I mean there's certainly going to be some disruptors that create some some gaps in the market. But for the most part, it's going to be a professionally assisted transaction in the local marketplace. So whether you're working with a, a listing agent, whether you're working with a buyer's agent, uh, the fact is, is these transactions happen so few times in life for the individual consumer that there's no way that they would be able to learn enough in order to go out and buy a home or sell a home. They're doing lots of them and they're an investor, you know, that's a different animal. But right. but for the for the general consumer, they're they're gonna need somebody to help them emotionally buy and sell. So that's sort of the, the sort of the backdrop uh, that I see. So from from that perspective then then it really comes to the idea of what does the real estate office need to look like and and um in, in my my opinion we're we're, we went pure play on the cloud, partially because if you if you take a position that's that's uh, diametrically opposed to sort of the rest of the industry, 
it, people actually pay attention to you. I mean, the fact that we use avatars is, is one, it's effective, but, but two, it's a, it's a differentiator in terms of just the, the idea of how you're, you're a virtual brokerage. Well, we're not really a virtual brokerage. We're a cloud-based brokerage and we collaborate as avatars. I mean, it just creates a lot of different sort of synergies around it. But over time, I think we're going to see a lot more co-working that's going to start start taking place between real estate agents and other service providers in the real estate space. I've um, I, I, I've imagined, and we've we've attempted to to make some progress in this regard, and, and so far it hasn't got the traction that I think it will eventually get. And that is to to think about the idea that agents do want a place to work. That's we we got to sort of like that's sort of our elephant in the room that we sort of deal with, but sometimes don't talk about. And so we, we, we're partnered with Regis on a national basis. So you can use any Regis in the country. Um, there's title and escrow companies, and generally speaking, they'll let you use their conference rates. Obviously, there's Starbucks, uh, you know, everywhere in the country, yeah. um, and, and 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 so on and so forth. But what what is? Uh, I think there's a I think there's a middle ground between um, uh, physical bricks and mortar real estate brokerages and sort of where we're at on the other end of the spectrum, which is totally cloud based. And I think when we see the next downturn in the housing market, which you know maybe it's next year, maybe it's five years from now, maybe it's ten years from now, whenever, whenever it is, we see sort of that significant downturn that that takes place. Um, those who have bricks and mortar are are going to again be in a world of hurt. And 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 uh, uh, it, it seems to me that there's a with the co-working that's come out of the technology space, and um, and and the ability to have like-minded people working out of a, a location but not affiliated with the same brand or, or or what have you, I think that will ultimately be sort of the, 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 the ultimate settling ground for the, the next generation real estate brokerage. So the idea that, you know, as a real estate brokerage, um, the only person that really has to go to the office if there is a physical office required for, for the brokerage is the managing broker. There is zero requirement the agent needs to go there. There's zero requirement that the um, that uh, that there needs to be anything other there, there that maybe some files uh, from from an auditing perspective. But the, but if you think about uh, mortgage, title, and escrow, um, and some of the other affiliated services, if they were if there were little pods of of of, uh, of co-working spaces that were anchored by some of these affiliated service businesses with very inexpensive co-working rates for, for agents to be able to work out of these experiences, I think that could be uh, another version of the future uh, that would be you know, quite interesting. And, and it would change, again, the, the dynamics of commission, um, how, how, how money is, is shared with uh, agents and brokers, because the only reason why we're able to do the stuff that we're able to do for agents and brokers, quite frankly, is because we don't have the overhead of a, of a typical brokerage. I mean, um, you know, the fact that we're sharing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month uh, with our agents and brokers, um, and uh, that would normally have went to the uh, to the to the broker owner, which would have, to a large extent, paid for all the bricks and mortar to be able to run in all the states that we're, we're running in. Um, it's it's a really powerful place to be, and so I think when it, when brokerages broker owners are able to uh, Legitimately, back away from their bricks and mortar expenses. It will change. It will create uh, another shift in, in in the marketplace. Well, and honestly, too, if you think about it, you know, like I look at how the transaction has changed since I started. 
you know, when I first started in real estate, we didn't have internet, honestly, even yet. We, it was just starting to hit the, I mean, real estate is the last to embrace technology. And so we were writing our contracts, of course. We had to have original signatures. We had just gotten fax machines, but nobody really wanted to use them yet because they didn't believe them, right? So right. we were literally taking contracts and driving them to the agents and delivering original contracts. And, you know, we still had MLS books where we would flip through and meet once a week and update the listings and sales to today where I can literally not even physically see the house because I've literally had a buyer who went through an open house to write the offer. I wrote the offer, sent it to them digitally. They docu-signed it. Then I emailed it to the agent all within minutes, literally, and so the majority of the transaction can be handled digitally and virtually, although ideally, you're right, it is local and you need to physically be here to show homes and list homes and that kind of thing. But I would say 95% of the transaction these days is all done digitally. And oh, so the need for, sure. for an office is is not necessarily that important. I mean, that's. I know that that's what I'm seeing, and that's in my 23-year career how dramatically the real estate transaction has changed. And that's even the importance of, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm teaching in the cloud right now and in my classes on building relationships because before EXP, I even heard of EXP, which was just a few months ago, I was teaching as part of uh, my master class real estate academy that, look, Uber has already taken over taxis, right? We've talked about that. We've talked about how the the travel agent has gone away. I do not, I agree with you, and I do not believe that real estate agents are going to go away. I do believe that it is a relationship business. It is local. We do need to have somebody guide people emotionally through the process because it's a wacky transaction, and people get whacked out in the middle of a real estate transaction. Um, but we definitely have to bring more value to the table in what we do as an industry to the consumer. And that's got to be much more relationship-based. It can't be a churn and burn them where there's no value. I, I absolutely 100% believe we've got to focus more on the value of those relationships. Because when you build your business right, you don't have competition. When you build your right. business by relationship, the competition goes out the window. Well, there is no competition because you know, the bar is set so low, generally speaking. Um, you know, the, 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 the fact that, uh, you know, I'm sure in your practice and my practice, uh, you know, simply, an- simply answering one's phone and returning phone calls promptly in the real estate business is, is enough to, to, to probably keep most agents uh, gainfully employed. Um, you know, exactly. without, you know, and, uh, and then if they add some sort of... Uh, uh, a marketing engine on the front end, um, and and then uh, uh, and then and then actually manage their CRM effectively and stay accountable to the to the things that they've said they, they they're going to do. I, I have a phrase in in real estate that um, uh, that it's a, that we uh, we keep the small promises to get the big deal, and and uh, uh, because you know when you say you're going to call them back is uber important to the consumer because they probably they potentially been let down by two or three or four agents before they ever talked to you because the, the bar is set so low. So 
you know, if you if you simply do what you say you're going to do, set expectations, um, answer your phone if you can, return calls promptly if you can't, um, and uh, and and just stay uh, accountable to uh, the people that have uh, reached out to you and you've uh, confirmed that you're going to follow up with. Uh, you, it's not. This is not a tough business. You know that is such a. I just wrote that down because that was so powerful. Keep small promises to make the big deal. That is. That's a tweetable. People tweet it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, because that that's so true. It's like people think it's this big thing. It's rocket science. It's all this stuff. Like even you know they're always looking for the next shiny object. What's the next thing that I can do? to get out there and get business. And what I say all the time is I say, okay, you're looking at spending all this money and all these arenas and all this advertising and websites and all this stuff. Write down your last six transactions and tell me where they came from. And almost every time without fail when I do that to an agent, they will say referrals and repeat business. And I said, so then why are you spending $1,000 a month on Zillow or spending all this money on some new fancy website when all you have to do is get out there and connect with people. Right. Well, and, and you, you don't want to get me on this. The Zillow soapbox because, you know, talk about the most jaded consumers on the planet. Um, you know, they, they, when when they do, I forget the study, I think uh, Realtor.com did a study, and you know, that uh, showed that uh, less than, you know, one out of every four or five clients ever got a call back. Um, and this was a couple of years ago, so hopefully it's improved a bit. But those are the same same stats for, you know, Zillow and some of the other things. So so by the time you, you know, generate that lead on Zillow, which is overpriced to begin with, um, they, they they do not give you any sort of, uh, 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 of uh, benefit of the doubt because they've already been burnt by the last five people that didn't return their phone calls or, or gave them, you know, exactly. basically wanted to assign them buyer contract uh, before they even give me information. So, you know, the, 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 we're in this service business, and and, uh, uh, and one of the other things that I think about as well is if you get a number of people that come to you, and this is a little bit of a sort of a tangent to the relationship one, but um, the, the for, for me, um, if I get a, a certain type of consumer that comes at, at me uh, the same way each time, which, by the way, is, uh, you know, Funnel, funnel marketing for me is is, uh, uh, is is the way that I built everything that I did. So I was it was all about building the front end, the, the funnel, pulling people in, and then and then providing a franchisable service uh, model that I could coach to all of my agents. And so I, you know, that's the reason why we were able to do the types of volume that we were doing in, in a fairly short period of time. Um, but the uh, but the the idea is is once you start to hear an objection come up multiple times or or the uh, from a particular uh, group, then um, I go back to sort of my the Tommy Hopkins days, is, is, and I remember his coaching. And, and did you do any Tommy Hopkins stuff? I do remember him back in the day. Yeah. So, so do you remember the phrase, which is, "When's the best time to handle an objection?" Do you remember the answer to that one? It's right now. But it's before it even comes up. So, yeah, it's the answer so, before it comes up. Before it comes up, so you know, um, uh, so so is is to build all of your systems around handling the objections that you hear time and time again. Now, there's going to be, uh, you know, the the you know, ultimately, you know, if you sort of 
take his approach. And I'm not I'm not a Tommy Hopkins fan. I just I take a little bit from each person. But so ultimately, at the end of the day, our job is to help buyers and sellers do what it is that they already intended to do. It's not to talk them into doing something that they didn't want to do to begin with. But a seller wants to sell and a buyer wants to buy it. The reason why they hire us as agents is because uh, they need us to help them do what it was that they intended to do. And that means helping them through uh, the rough spots of, of understanding the buying process, the rough spots of understanding the selling process, and, and to, to ultimately hold their hand so that ultimately they get to the other side. And so everything that we do should be in support of what it was that they hired us to do to begin with. And and in in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion, it's not to sell them a home. It's to help them choose the right home and then help them through the process. So so that's that's the way I've always sort of approached it and, and it's really served served me uh as as an agent and in, in, in my coaching. Well, it's powerful and, and for agents that are listening that are struggling with processes or systems, just trying to figure those out. I'll tell you the best way to to systematize and and create a process for your business is to do exactly what you just said is answer the objection before it's an objection. <laughs> and that means on the other end of that, answer resolve the problem or resolve the 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 potential question as your client is going through the process. Like in my perfect world, every real estate agent and loan officer and title person should have to buy or sell a home every 2 years. So they could appreciate what the consumer has to go through, right? It's like things would change dramatically if we all had to do that because we forget what all those little things, like all, like you just said, all those little promises that happen, everything seems to kind of go by the wayside and we have challenging transactions. When you can create a smooth, seamless transaction for a consumer, they're going to come back to you over and over again. It's a no-brainer. Well, I just uh, I just uh, I, I uh, just went through that process. I just bought. Uh, I was just closed last month on it. Uh, first one I've done for for a while, and oh my god, uh, it was the, actually the real. I had a really great real estate agent, but but the uh, the mortgage process. Oh, that was that was painful. Um, yeah. It was of course of course I was uh, new construction uh, second first. Well, we were going to be the first unit that was closing in the new development, and. Uh, um, you know, but uh, uh, you know the, the the rules got changed on us literally the last minute. Um, had to come up with another ten percent down. Uh, was promised the whole time up until the day after closing, which the scheduled closing was when they told us, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll do it, but you need another ten percent down." Um, it's like, why wouldn't you tell us that like earlier in the process that that was even a possibility? But uh, we already had stuff being delivered the, like that next day. It's uh, anyway. Um, yeah, so. it's ridiculous the process that happens, and you know, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, it will continue to improve. But what I can say is that I think that as an industry, we do all have to look within, right? And a big part of that is what can we do to improve who we are as real estate agents, number one, as companies. And I, I do have to say. Again, since I joined EXP uh, a couple months ago, it has only gotten better because I truly believe in the leadership. You and you know Jason and and Vicky is extraordinary. Just love her. Vicky Bartholomew is the president of the real estate division. 
um, and Jason Guessing, of course, the CEO of Real Estate Division. But it's the what I love about it is that we are all inspired to work together as agents to create a great company because it's agent owned, and I've not seen anything like it in my 23 year career. It, yeah, that, well, that was the other, you know, and I, I go back to this whole idea of objection handling. Um, and uh, when I was, I started at Prudential, and uh, you know, I was a was the uh, rookie of the year, first year there. I was uh, the, 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 the next year, I was uh, top top buyers agent. So I was actually number three in the office. Um, and I know about, I think we were about forty or so agents, and and uh, um, you know, I was, you know, I was going, you know, I'm. I could see what we were doing and we were getting ready to, to sort of build a team and do some other things. And you know, I was, I, I noticed the fees that I was paying and I, and, uh, and the fact that I was generating all the old, all, all my own business, the, the, the brand and the shingle really didn't do much for me other than I had a mentor there um, that I started with. So then I, you know, went over to another broker. I went to KW and, um, you know the, uh, the profit share models. You know, was really you know attractive. That's one of the reasons why I was there. Actually, probably probably the big reason was why I was there because I saw all the agents I was going to be bringing in. And then you know, profit share can be a mixed bag, as some people uh, will tell you, in terms of whether an office is profitable or not. And I got sort of on the backside of that. I was our our office was not profitable, and some of the other offices I had agents at were not profitable. So there wasn't much for me in the in the profit share side. And, and I was uh, also contributing at the lion's share of the, or at least a significant amount of the revenue. And I was always bugged about the fact that I wasn't an owner and I wasn't being offered ownership in the office. And uh, given the uh, the amount of business that we were doing, and and so when I started to think about all of the things that we wanted to do, we built the broker. Just said, you know, um, revenue share trumps profit profit share. I mean, it it just does. If you pay oh, off the top. Yeah. Off, and, and then the other part was I, I said, you know, I really wanted to own a piece of, of the action. Um, and uh, and I wasn't that excited, by the way, at the, at the franchise level. The, the, you know, the franchise level or, or, or single office level, I would have been really excited about owning sort of the mothership of, of the company that, uh, that I was involved with, which at the time was KW. But that was, there was no offering around that at all. And and uh, and so uh, uh, so for me, I just dialed that back into my in the back of my brain of, of stuff that I would would have wanted had that been available to me, and said if we ever build something, let's put those elements in because it it, it if it was important to me, and I always use myself as sort of the, the guinea pig in the exercise. If it's important to me, then it's probably important to a whole bunch of other people, and and if it's, it's important to a whole bunch of other people. Then that's a that's a way to differentiate ourselves from anybody else in the marketplace because we're doing the things that they're looking for anyway. Um, why wouldn't we do it? It just makes it makes business sense to to build the the, the business that people have been looking for their whole life. And it is. It's like all those little things, all those little details. I only wish I'd have thought of it first. But <laughs> well, it's funny because I actually started at Prudential too. I worked at Prudential for the first year I was there, uh, my first year in real estate. And then, of course, I was really cocky and confident and thought I knew it all. So I decided to go out and start my own company um, after one year in the real estate business. And um, that wasn't probably the smartest move, but it ended up working out for me. But but yeah, the, just asking all those questions and 
I think that for the most part, you have addressed just about every objection real estate agents have. The only thing that I get now is, but I love my broker. And I say, well, I love my broker too. My broker is actually my husband. Um, but but uh, at the end of the day, I have a family to feed and I have to really look out for what's best for me. And I think the only other objection too I've heard is people think it's just an internet company and so it's going to, you know, fly by and and it's not going to be around in a few years. And so what is your answer to that one? Well, the, well I mean, we're, we're flying by like Amazon flew by, Netflix flew by, and Uber's flying by, you know. And the reality is, is that the, the yeah. it, we are we are certainly using um, uh, the the internet as a as a backbone to collaboration and community. There's there's no doubt about that, and that uh, um, and that's and that's what we're leveraging. I mean, and and the fact is, is that uh, it, it does. You know, leadership counts, um, and so the uh, the one thing the reason why we I was really uh, really inspired to, to do the avatar-based environment that we uh, that we did we launched in 2009 was because it does allow for leadership to work from anywhere with anyone at any time. Um, so the, the, the fact that I might be in the Pacific Northwest and you might be in California and Jason might be in Boston and Vicky might be in Houston and all the other you know agents, brokers, whoever are all over the country, we can be in you know in a meeting in a one-on-one. Um, uh, we can pull people together quickly. We can solve ch- challenges, and we're working together more efficiently and more effectively than any bricks and mortar in a local community, even if it only serves that local community, can ever do, uh, because we've just got so much depth of talent. So, I think I think the the, the uh, I think that part is pretty pretty straightforward. The the you know I love my broker. It's a, you know it comes back to the reason why a lot of people are in real estate. Um, Hank of Inc. was talking about in our leadership meeting this morning that it's really about relationships. And, 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 and you know, certainly uh, there's a component uh, of finances that, uh, that is part of any, any real estate brokerage. And until somebody actually sits down and really dives into the numbers, um, they won't understand sort of the financial differences between the models. But you still, I mean, I, I really think about the idea that this is this is a relationship business, and and if the if the broker that they're currently at provides a ton of support, helps them build truly build their business, that's it, going to be a hard a hard relationship to to sort of to, to leverage them out of, and and um, you know God bless them for having the great relationship that they have, but you know if they start to really think about the idea that as they're attracting people. You know, we're building relationships with the agents and brokers that we're attracting, and we need to add value to, to them. I've, I've always played with the idea that of, of adding value first, and then and then whatever comes back is is what comes back. So, um, and so you know, I've coached um, so many times agents and brokers who I who weren't with uh, with my company or what have you, just because they took time out. To, for us to have lunch, to, for us to do do something, or we ended up in some sort of scenario. Um, and I think the reason why why people uh, people's organizations grow is because they 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 personally believe that the person they're in business with is going to help them be better at some part of their business or at some part of life. And and so for for me, 
it's it's about uh, it's about building building relationships. And uh, if the relationship becomes important to the person that you're trying to attract, they're going to step away from their broker because you're you're you've now provided both a better model and and a relationship that they can trust to know who they're going to be who's going to help them when they've got challenges going going forward with their business. So that's that's the thing I think about is. It's not the how do we handle the objection. It's more about how are we adding value and let that take care of the objection. Well, you know what? I think I could spend hours talking to you, Glenn. You're such a fascinating, fascinating man, and what you've created is is definitely changing the landscape. As we wrap up today, I have a, I have a funny story. So when I first walked into the cloud, you know, you're, everyone's kind of awkward when they walk in there. And so I'm wandering around. I don't really know how things work yet. And I saw you, and you were taught. You and a couple people were sitting at a table, because the cool thing about the cloud is everyone has their name over their head, which I wish we could do that in real life, right? <laughs> because we oh, don't yeah. have to not worry about remembering people's names. So I walked up, you know, and and I was like, oh, well, that's that's the founder. So I walked up and I said hi, and you guys were in like a private meeting, and I didn't understand the dynamics of what the private meetings, you know, the space in there. But you guys are so gracious. And you said, you know, nice to meet you. We're in a private meeting and we'll be with you in a little bit. But what I love is that you can just walk around and see you and see other leaders and see all the people right there in the cloud. And you have that opportunity to talk to them, which, you know, I, I don't know that that's an opportunity without spending thousands of dollars to fly to, a corporate headquarters. So uh, that's the part that I think is super cool, among other things. Oh yeah, and, and you know, there's some, there's definitely some things that I, I talk to, and sometimes we get away from some of the uh, some of these core values a little bit, but we keep on pulling it back in, which is uh, you know collaboration and and true transparency. You probably hear a little construction going on in the background. That's that okay. was my uh, visitor. I had to let in the door. Um, okay. But uh, uh, but the uh, but the reality is is that uh, it, it's uh, uh, we want we want to be very transparent in the uh, in in the uh, uh, in the way that we run the company. It's we're building it for the agents and brokers, um, and we're not. I mean, obviously, there's the benefits of building it uh, that comes with building it. But our, our agents, our brokers, are are uh, are, are really. Um, it's like I think about it almost like my kids, and uh, you know as a. As a parent, I think about this, the, you know, all the stuff that I'm doing. Eventually, I'm going to pass down to my kids, right. and, and I think about the real estate brokerages as uh, as as uh, this is something that I'm passing. I'll be passing on to our agents and brokers eventually, in sort of its entirety. You know, just be, you know, for just to the practical reasons that eventually, you know, I'll get older, and we'll, we'll, the rest of the team will get older. But the idea is that we want the agents and brokers as engaged as possible as possible. In all the things that we do, uh, for decision making and, and the growth of the company, um, it, it, with all the pain points that goes along with that, and, and the dysfunctionality that goes along with sort of family dynamics that uh, we've now translated into uh, in, into uh, transparency. So it's a uh, but it's it's a lot of fun. It is. Well, thank you so much, Glenn, for being on the show today. I was excited to talk to you, and I'm really inspired by what you've created and all of the opportunity that is out there. I still love the real estate industry after all these years. I absolutely love everything about it, and 
this um, partnership with EXP recently has just been a breath of fresh air <clears throat> into the industry. So thank you again for being here. I, it's really an honor, and I appreciate it. Oh, thanks, thanks, Marguerite. Thanks, thanks for having me on, and I, I look forward to hearing it. Awesome. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on Real Estate Real World. We look forward to your feedback, and please go and download on iTunes, Podbean, or head on over to realestaterealworld.com. And if you love us, like I hope you do, I hope you will share on social media and write us a great review. It helps us get up in the rankings a bit. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go out and make it a great day. Thank you for joining us today on Real Estate Real World where we talk with masters and leaders in real estate and beyond on how we can raise the bar in our industry. Please subscribe over on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. Your reviews encourage us and help others find our podcast. For show notes and hot topics on what's going on right now in our real estate industry, pop on over to www.realestaterealworld.com and add your name to our email. Thanks again for listening and go out there, be a part of the elite masterclass in raising the bar on the real estate industry.